Welcome to Green Mountain Disability Stories, a series of conversations by, with, and for Vermonters with disabilities. We're talking about disability in Vermont, the Green Mountain State. In this episode of the show, we welcome medical student Elizabeth Biz Barker and Dr. Melissa Hauser. Hauser is also the executive director of the nonprofit All Brains Belong Vermont and sits on the Community Advisory Council of the UVM Center on Disability and Community Inclusion. Both physicians identify as having a disability, and Dr. Hauser also has a family member with a disability. They're here to talk about ableism in the medical system and how it begins in medical school. How we expect learners to perform as they learn medicine has a huge impact on keeping ableism going in healthcare. Let's listen. Um, so I am Mel Hauser. I use she, they pronouns. I am an autistic family physician with a clinical focus on providing primary care to neurodivergent patients across the lifespan. Um, I'm the executive director of All Brains Belong Vermont, which is a nonprofit organization in Montpelier that uses universal design principles to provide healthcare, neurodiversity related education, and social connection opportunities for kids and adults. And um, I, I guess I'll also mention that I am autistic, ADHD, dyspraxic, dyslexic, dyscalculic, and I did not learn any of these things about myself until I was 37 years old. So it's, um, that's, that's, that, that it's, it's been a journey of like re rewriting the narrative of my life through, through that lens. Um, and, and, um, le learning about, you know, the things, the things that make me, me, um, the things that allow me to do my work in, you know, meaningful ways and the things that are like really, really hard. Yes. Thank you so much, Mel. I appreciate it. Did you want to give a self-description? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for thank 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 th thank you thank you for supporting my uh, working memory. Um, so uh, um, I uh, have uh, I'm I'm a, I'm a white person with short brown hair, um, and I'm wearing a light uh, aqua shirt, and I um I have a um, a gray pillow behind me, and I'm at the corner of a wall that is uh, copper and aqua. Amazing. Thank you so much, Mel. Um, well, I'm Elizabeth Barker. I'm a fourth year medical student at the University of Vermont. Um, I am dyslexic, which I was formally diagnosed with when I was in eighth grade, but had always known I was um, a bit different. Um, now I'm considered myself a neuro lurker, discovering all the other ways that my brain uh, does not fit the typical mold, but um, is still beautiful in its own ways. Um, other than that, I'm hoping to go into family medicine, uh, primary care, I'm applying into residency all over the nation. So um, still very much so in the process of becoming a doctor, but hopeful for my future. And I am a white female who uses she, her pronouns, forgot to mention that. Um, brownish, blondish hair in a very orange room, <laughs> wearing a white shirt. All right, do we wanna jump into our first question, Mel? Yeah, um, so, you know, we were thinking about 
the medical education process and um, and 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 how you know our experience even you know separated by you know over a decade um, really that the, the, there are some things that are missing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a bit of context, me and Mel first met when she was my advisor um, during my first year of medical school during a class called professionalism. What was the C? Communication. Communication and reflection, which was a really phenomenal medical school class that um, during our first year, second year, and part of our third year uh, brought um, small groups of medical students together and kind of re- took time to reflect on the many other various aspects of um, the world in general that affect medicine. Um, so we looked at a lot of social determinants of health, um, lots of other popular news articles that kind of uh, were intertwined with medicine and healthcare in general. Um, and this was one of the places that me and Mel first had a presentation um, on neurodivergent uh, aspects of healthcare, which was really fascinating, um, but definitely uh, was one of the few parts of my medical school education that really touched on it. So um, as me and Mel went through our years of healthcare, Mel was brave enough to jump out and really start taking this on. And I was really lucky to be able to follow her uh, and also learn healthcare from uh, the kind of general typical model, but also um, other ways that it could be viewed and other ways that it can be improved upon to support all people. Oh, that's so beautifully said, you know, because I think that, you know, I, I'll also mention that I uh, did my medical school training at UVM also. Um, and I, I really do think that I got excellent training in um, health equity, cultural competence, like just like 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 that lens um, that in a way that perhaps was, was a bit ahead of its time. You know, um, we're we're having that diversity, equity, and inclusion lens. Um, you know, has been a, a value of UVM for a really long time. Um, and 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 I would also say that neurodiversity and access are are like the next frontier of the DEI conversations. And I think that um, uh, it, that that that's where I'd like to see see things going. Um, because I think that there are, um, you know, everyday life practices for, 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 for patients' experiences and for physicians' experiences that, that relate to, di- to, to neurodiversity and access that are unrecognized. Absolutely, for sure. Um, all right, what was our first question that we wanted to jump into? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so, um, uh, you know, the, the, when we think about like gaps in medical education, um, you know, uh, it's, it's tempting to say, to say that, but like, where do we start? Yeah, for sure. Well, I think we should start with maybe recognizing all the really amazing parts um, that medical education does reach upon, like you were saying, um, UVM does seem a bit, a bit before its time and does reach past the basic model of medicine to include a lot of um, other aspects of healthcare. Um, but where, where it's lacking is also very evident. I think that for me, one of the biggest things that really jumped out to me when being in the typical medical school education system um, was a lot of this mix of imposter syndrome 
and um, the realities of um, not knowing what we don't know. Um, there was a lot of emphasis on evidence-based medicine in our first couple of years and throughout medicine. And I find this extremely important, um, but it also happened to teach us to, in medicine, to kind of approach a lot of things with skepticism if there isn't um, previously done data and science and evidence to back up practices. Um, so on top of imposter syndrome and this idea of um, only being able to do what we have evidence-based medicine for um, can kind of sometimes paint medical providers into corners is what I've seen. Yeah, and like just to say a, say a little bit for, for folks who don't um, or maybe are, are not familiar with that imposter syndrome term. So, you know, just like the, the, the phenomenon of somebody doubting their skills, talents, accomplishments, or like a, like a, like a internalized feel, feel feeling of like, uh, you know, uh, the fear of being exposed as like incompetent, like, oh, they're going to find out that like, I don't really know what I'm doing. So I mean, I, 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 I can say, and this is, this is certainly not unique um to my, to my experience to your experience and this is this is this is this is pretty common as you know described to me by colleagues and all and all kinds of, of of professions but but very common in healthcare training is like the vibe of you know uh, um you know explicitly or, or implicitly being told you know fake it till you make it like that i think drives imposter syndrome it's it's, mm -hmm. it's not healthy mm -mm. Yeah. Like it's actually okay to not know something and to authentically show up and say, I need help. I don't understand this. Um, I actually have no idea. Like that's like normal. It's like so profoundly normal. Absolutely. And in a lot of culture of medicine, the imposter syndrome is almost taught to be embraced in a way to kind of, like you said, fake it till you make it. Um, but I think that, like you said, it's it's not healthy. It leads to people trying to compensate in ways that uh, don't benefit them and long-term aren't sustainable. Um, and I think it also leads to a lot of people um, not being able to accept other aspects of other patients. So in medicine, on top of the imposter syndrome, I feel like we're taught to be superhuman um, and to ignore all the things that we can't do perfectly or ignore our health um, and try to be something greater than we are, which I think that also leads to um, doctors not seeing patients in the full ways that they can. That's a really good point. You know, I, I, I think that there's so much of the hidden curriculum in medical education. So there's, you know, from, from the physician lens of like, you know, um, my, my duty, my calling is this. And, and, and there's a part of that, but that it's, it's not a zero sum game. So, you know, um, you, 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 you are human and you have needs, you have, you have access needs, the thing, you know, access needs being, you know, anything anybody needs to fully and meaningfully show up in life. Um, and, and, you know, the, the, the culture of, you know, don't, you know, never take a sick day and, you know, um, you know, put the patient first and like, is that maybe an overgeneralized cultural concept? Like just put the patient first um, I, like, like, can you do that without, um, <laughs> ignoring your own access needs? Absolutely. Exactly. And then with that, you just start to not even consider 
that there are access needs when we're told to be one way and perfect and human, non-human just all the time, then we don't accept the ways that we are human and the way that lots of people are human and we do have different access needs. And if doctors can show up as their authentic selves that need accommodations and that need different access needs, then our patients can show up themselves as well. Yeah, you know, I think that's a really good point. When I think about some of the common practices in medical education, not just in mine and yours, but, you know, my mentors and my colleagues who train in all different kinds of systems, it's, it's just, I think, pretty common. Like, for example, the concept of pimping, where you are put on the spot in front of groups, asked direct questions. Um, I mean, my experience was that that was really stressful and uncomfortable and painful yeah. and interfered with my learning in those circumstances, mm -hmm. um, both like, you know, both as the direct recipient of this practice or of like watching my colleagues being humiliated, anticipating my future humiliation, like all of that was just you know, unnecessary for my learning experience. But I do remember the, you know, what I'll call like a brain rule, you know, the assumptions, the cultural assumptions that you get kind of indoctrinated and brainwashed into, as opposed to like, you know, true laws of physics, like a true world rule, like the brain rule of like, well, you know, um, uh, that's, that helps brains learn, you know, brains learn under stress, brains under, under fire. Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe some brains do, mine doesn't. Exactly. Um, and, and in fact, we all have different brains and like some brains may benefit from that concept. Some brains do not. And if we really want to be providing environments that are inclusive of all brains, we may not want to have default practices. Absolutely. When there's only one way of doing something, it leads to othering. Right. Because if, 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 if you're, you know, oh, um, uh, brains learn under fire and humiliation and my brain doesn't there must be something wrong with me ergo fast-tracked imposter syndrome exactly and in the same way that we don't believe there should be one way to access healthcare because everybody has a different brain and needs a different way to access healthcare i think we both agree that medical school needs multiple different ways to demonstrate the same medical knowledge and skill set uh, that everybody possesses in just different ways Absolutely. Um, and so when there is, for example, um, you know, um, you, you, you must demonstrate your knowledge via an, like an, an oral boards. Um, if you have the kind of brain that organizes information best visually, um, but you, you didn't have a choice. Um, if you, um, I remember as a medical student on rounds, again, these like, you know, high pressure verbal, pre anyway, um, you know, you shouldn't need your notes on rounds because if you need your notes, that means you don't know your patients. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh my God, maybe, may maybe I'm not really cut out for this because turns out um, I have working memory differences where the visual support actually gets me through my day. That's like what the point of a to-do list is or keeping a calendar. 
it's the same neurologic process, but it is like overly glorified um, to quote, not need the accommodation, um, which is, you know, um, an example of ableism. Mm-hmm, exactly. Name the thing. Name the thing. Exactly. And the same kind of brain role applies to the way that we think about ourselves and turns into how we think about our patients. So if our brain role is that we don't, we don't need a, a visual aid to get through our presentation, then we might have the brain role that patients don't need a visual aid to get through their patient visit. So if we can accept that we all have our own access needs and we all need our own uh, supports, then it's easier to accept that patients have their own access needs and need access to their own supports and just creating that brain rule that accepts that we all have different needs. Right, because that's a world rule. It's actually a thing that we all have different brains that have different needs. Exactly. So by having negative brain rules in medical school and having negative brain rules about the way that we need to show up, changes the way that we think our patients need to show up. Right, and I, I you know, I, I, I do think that there was an acknowledgement of the hidden curriculum in medical education. Like I remember even that being talked about as a trainee, and it is true. It's just that there's, there's even more threads of the hidden curriculum that are unhelpful. You know, so for, for example, um, you know, I, I, I remember, um, you know, uh, as a, as a trainee, you know, my, my clinical supervisors might, might make some comment like, oh, uh, the patient with the list, as though there were something stigmatizing, something negative about being, like having the kind of brain that organizes your information in writing and brings with you a visual support. Um, or, um, up oh, that patient has a positive cell phone sign and implying that like, you know, they must not actually be in the amount of pain that they say they are because there is one correct way to look when you're in pain, which is of course not a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's like so much of that. Those like just the, the attitudes, the attitudes of being judged and dismissed. And so like, you know, not only is this not helpful, but but it hurts patients. Yeah, because patients can tell when they're being dismissed. And that doesn't just lead to a negative patient interaction in that moment, but a further distrust between patients and the medical system as a whole. Totally. I'm really glad you brought that up. You know, there is extensive literature that neurodivergent patients um, experience barriers to accessing healthcare. Um, uh, and, 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 and in addition to environmental barriers, sensory processing, you know, uh, the, the, the defaults of, you know, that, you know, you got to pick up a phone to make a, you know, make an appointment. Um, you got to fill out the 20 page packet to become a new patient. Like besides that stuff, there's actually literature that patients perceive that healthcare providers have unhelpful attitudes. Um, they, like, like patients feel it, you know, feel it when, when they're being viewed through um, a, a, a deficit-based lens. Absolutely. And a lot of healthcare does that, use a lot of healthcare um, through a deficit-based lens versus a social model-based lens, um, which- Yeah, can you say more about like the medical model of disability versus the social model of disability? 
Absolutely. So the medical model of disability kind of puts the deficit in the person, as in the person is deficient. The social-based model um, looks at the person with the quote-unquote disability as whole in themselves and that their environment is deficient to meet their needs. Um, and I think that in medical school, we're taught constantly about um, abnormalities from the baseline, that is the study of medicine, but we seem to pathologize anything that's not the typical, the norm, the, the middle of the bell curve. So um, when we approach things with the social-based model, uh, it doesn't lead to the additional Inter internal conflict, the internal shame that um, is put on people with a quote unquote disability. It puts the shame and the othering onto the person versus the need for accommodations and the need for our society to change, to accept them as they are. That is so well said. You know, I think that when it comes to visible disabilities, um, the concept of the social model is, um, is, 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 is quite clear. You know, if I am a wheelchair user and I approach a building that has a ramp, I am going to have less disability than if I approach a building that does not have a ramp. And when it comes to invisible disability, um, though, like, I mean, I'm not, a, I, 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 I'm, I, I'm going to acknowledge there are things about my disability that, that make things hard, make things really hard. And the amount of disability I'm going to experience is going to be relative to how accessible my environment is. Absolutely. The same way that for me as a medical student, when we have to write out our notes, my typing and my writing is uh, a bit slower because of my dyslexia. And it's harder for me to process my thoughts and get them down onto paper when I'm typing in in a kind of loud workroom. But um, being able to use dictation or text-to-speech softwares allow me to talk my notes out, um, which allows me to do them much more efficiently. So in a way, it's it's allowing me to do the same thing, but needing less of my energy to change how I function so that I can get the same task done. Right. And so, you know, all brains have a finite capacity of, 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 of bandwidth. And if you're going to spend all your bandwidth doing the thing in a way that doesn't work for your brain, you're not going to have a whole lot of left in your bandwidth budget. And I think that, you know, universal design offering flexible multimodal ways of engagement benefits everybody. So there are people, um, you know, in your example of using speech to text, assistive tech and other assistive technology, I, I, I think there are, there are people even who, you know, are have typically developing brains who benefit from that shared. Just having like multiple choices. It's not like this is the default and okay, you've disclosed the disability now. Now you get the accommodation that you, you know, often unfortunately have to work, send like a whole bunch of your bandwidth budget to even access. Yeah, exactly. So for example, yeah, using the dragon in the hospital is much easier for me than using um, another form of uh, accommodation like text-to-speech because it's already set up for most everyone. So instead of it having to be set up individually just for me, it being there for everyone is like the wheelchair app just being there for everyone. 
right? And if you have the kind of brain for whom like using dragon is hard, like what happens? You can type, like there's multiple choices. And when you think through like the stages of the workflow of like, you know, anytime there's like the one choice and there's, you know, like that, that's not neuroinclusive. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, you know, Biz, we've, you know, we've, we've both seen patients who are dissatisfied with their healthcare experiences. Um, and, and, you know, as we connect that to some of, some of the elements of the hidden curriculum that's part of healthcare system culture, um, you know, do you think there, there's, there's anything about the medical education process that may be contributing to that? Definitely. Yeah. That, that brings me back to kind of what we were talking about earlier with imposter syndrome, the idea that um, you are superhuman and you know everything, even if you don't feel like you know everything, kind of the fake it till you make it idea, the you're never wrong idea. Um, I think that this sets a lot of people up throughout medicine to kind of think they know everything, even though we are all constantly learning. Um, or getting really attached to the idea of something they heard once um, and then not knowing more and kind of sticking to that one thing they, they were taught previously, like a brain rule, a brain rule that they were taught and then was never challenged by anything else in education. Um, I think this can lead to a lot of patients presenting with um, symptoms that don't fit a typical illness script that we're taught. And if we haven't seen it before and doctors haven't identified it in the literature, um, it's very easy for a doctor to say something along the lines of, oh, that's not a thing, which as a patient and a provider, I know can be one of the most frustrating things to hear because it kind of gaslights patients and makes them feel that not, they're not being heard, they're not being seen, and that what's bothering them isn't being addressed. Um, and when we don't feel like we have all the answers and we don't feel like we've seen the science and evidence on it, um, it kind of leads to doctors brushing over things because they feel sometimes that they need to have all the answers. Right, because as trainees, we're told that a lot of times either, you know, explicitly or implicitly fake it till you make it is implying that you're not allowed to say you don't know. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like in, 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 in full transparency, you know, my, my experience is that when you tell a patient, I don't know, let's learn this together. They love it. You know, they, they appreciate it. Like mm -hmm. be a real person. Um, in, in, you know, as, as, as someone who, you know, I run, I, I, I run a healthcare organization that, you know, has a, you know, a different, like a totally different model. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's um, the, the people who come here are generally those whose needs were not met by the traditional healthcare system and what they like. So, so basically most times I see new patients, I am hearing stories of their experience of you know feeling like they weren't listened to or they were they were dismissed or or and 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 the stories they tell you know like i can zoom out and say you know probably the the the, the healthcare provider didn't maybe really say that in that way but doesn't even matter 
because their experience, like the what they took away, how they remember feeling in those encounters, that's what matters. And that's the stuff people are talking about. And so it's like, it's like what anything that's gonna, you know, anything you're gonna communicate thinking about what is, how is it potentially going to be received by that patient? Absolutely, absolutely. So as we wrap up, Biz, like, do you, what do you, what do you think should be our, our take-home points? Yeah, definitely. I think that a big thing, um, medical school is so much information always and all the time and always changing that maybe it's not so much how and what we teach or not necessarily what we teach and what we learn about directly versus how we're taught to approach problems and how we're taught to approach the unknown, um, especially things that we haven't been taught or things that maybe necessarily go against what we were taught, uh, how to approach those questions and patients with openness and compassion and curiosity. I love that. So, you know, fake it till you make it is not good for health, physician health or patient health. Maybe we can summarize that. Absolutely. So say what, you know, acknowledge when you don't know something. Exactly. Um, and, and, and in order to learn about that thing, it may involve um, uh, looking at other fields to help answer those questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Is there another main take? Yeah, I'd say like my, 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 my main take one point is just like neurodiversity and access is the next frontier of the DEI conversations. And, um, you know, not, not, not just to be able to offer um, a neuroculturally competent healthcare to our patients, but taking a look at the access needs of our neurodivergent learners, most of whom have no idea that they are neurodivergent. Mm-hmm. And that will also help with the immense burnout we've been seeing in medicine. So again, it's not, we're not here just to help our patients, but to help our medical colleagues as well. Exactly, because you know it, 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 it is an epidemic of physician burnout, physician suicide. I mean, this is real, right? So, so and, and looking at the systemic issues um, that um, are incompatible with neurocultural competence. Absolutely. All right, well, thanks, Biz. It's been nice talking with you. Thank you, Mal. I'm so glad we got to do this. You've been listening to Green Mountain Disability Stories, a series of conversations by, with, and for Vermonters with disabilities. We've been talking and listening to Experiences with Disability in Vermont, the Green Mountain State. The music for our show is by Soul June, an audio library release. This show is a production of the Center on Disability and Community Inclusion at the University of Vermont. You can find out more about the center by visiting go.uvm.edu slash C-D-C-I. Thanks for listening.